Our scripture lesson today comes from Romans chapter 5, and in this passage, Paul is explaining to the early church the depth and the breadth of God's mercy and love and grace. Therefore, since we are justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have obtained access to this grace in which we stand. And we boast in our hope of sharing the glory of God. And not only that, we also boast in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not disappoint us, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit that has been given to us. For while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly, Indeed, rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person some might actually dare to die. But God proves his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more surely then, now that we've been justified by his blood, will we be saved through him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his Son, much more surely, having been reconciled, will be saved by his life. But more than that, we even boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we now have received reconciliation. Amen. I have in my illustration file an old newspaper clipping of a kind of quirky story about a woman and her parakeet named Chippy. One day she decided that she would try a new way of cleaning his cage using her canister vacuum. So she was vacuuming up the bottom of the cage there and the phone rang and she got distracted trying to reach for it and then all of a sudden she heard this She looked over and Chippy was gone. She ran over to the vacuum canister, turned it off, opened the door and there was Chippy. Stunned, Dirty, she grabbed him and she ran to the bathroom. She turned on the cold water and held him under the water to wash off the the dirt. Then she saw the hairdryer. She hung him upside down by his feet and socked him with hot air. She took him back to his cage and put him on his perch. The newspaper reporter who wrote about the story called a couple weeks later to see how Chippy was doing. She said, well... He doesn't sing as much as he used to. He just sort of sits and stares. Have you ever felt like that? Has your life ever gone from calm to chaos in a second? From everything being okay to everything not being okay? The poet Ashley Brilliant said, I try to take it one day at a time, but sometimes several days attack me at once. I think we've all probably had that sort of experience. Or when you read the news, or you watch the news on TV, do you get that sort of feeling of just too much chaos in the world? Years ago, the country singer Ann Murray had a song called A Little Good News. The people are dated, the references, but the sentiment is right on for today's world. She sang, I rolled out of bed this morning, kids had the morning news show on, 
Bryant Gumbel was talking about the fighting in Lebanon, some senators squawking about the bad economy. There's a local paper rolled up in a rubber band, one more sad stories, one more than I can stand. Just once how I'd like to see the headlines say, not much to print today, couldn't find nothing bad to say. Because, oh, tell me, nobody robbed a liquor store on the lower part of town. Nobody OD'd. Nobody burned a single building down. Nobody fired a shot in anger. Nobody had to die in vain. We sure could use a little good news today. We sure could in our world, couldn't we? Dealing with this pandemic, with this crisis of social justice in our country, and so it's to that kind of a world that we do hear this beautiful, beautiful good news from the Apostle Paul. This is the greatest news you could ever hear. Did you catch it? Therefore, since we are justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have been justified. Enemies have been made friends through Jesus Christ our Lord. Back in the 70s and 80s, Kurt Vonnegut was one of America's most famous novelists, and I loved his books. I have a, uh, no one really thinks of him as a sermon writer, but I actually have a copy of a sermon that he wrote, and it's one of the finest sermons I have ever read. Vonnegut, who described himself as a Christ-worshipping agnostic, was invited to preach at an Episcopal church in New York City and his sermon was reprinted in the New York Review of Books. Here's how it started. I am enchanted by the Sermon on the Mount. Being merciful, it seems to me, is the only good idea we have received so far. Perhaps we'll get another idea that good by and by, and then we'll have two good ideas. I agree. Mercy. I think it's the world's best idea. It has come to us from Jesus and is amplified by the Apostle Paul. And it goes counter to common sense and to every other major religion or ethical system in existence. So, this title of this sermon, The Quality of Mercy, when you hear that, what do you think of? Well, those of you that are Shakespeare lover, lovers will remember the speech that Portia gives in The Merchant of Venice. She says, the quality of mercy is not strained. It droppeth as a gentle rain from heaven upon the place beneath. It is twice blessed. It blesseth him that gives and him that makes. Mercy is an attribute of God himself. And earthly power doth then show likest God when mercy seasons justice. That's the good idea that I want to talk about with you today. First of all, mercy is getting what you need, not what you deserve. Some of you have heard the old story of the, the woman, the wealthy grand dame who had commissioned someone to paint her portrait. And when the art, artist completed it and showed it to her, she was very angry. She complained that he had not done her justice. And all that the, the artist could think to say was, lady, you don't need justice, you need mercy. That's what Paul said. You see, justice is getting what you deserve. 
Mercy is getting what you need. Paul says in our text that you who were at one time disobedient to God have now received mercy. We know this concept by another theological name, grace. And the reason that we talk about it is that, as Vonnegut said, it's idea number one in the Christian faith, the best that's come along so far. Secondly, we also have to note that mercy makes us mad. When God gets serious about mercy and tells us to do likewise, we start to wonder if it's such a great idea. Ernie Campbell of Riverside Church once preached a sermon entitled, A Nation's Struggle with a Word. He was referring to the last word in the Pledge of Allegiance, with liberty and justice for all. We're all for mercy for ourselves, but we're not really sure we want it for all, do we? We're like, uh, we're like people who become strict environmentalists, opposing all future development just after acquiring their vacation home next to the National Forest. All? Well, you mean Hitler? Pol Pot? My mother-in-law? Really? God wants to give mercy to all? Now, that may be going a little bit too far. You know, there was a big debate in the early church about this. And there were some people like Peter and James, James the brother of Jesus, who did not want God's mercy extended to the Gentiles. And Paul was the one who fought for the concept that God's love and mercy and grace is available to all, to everyone. In fact, what made the Pharisees the maddest about Jesus, the thing he got in trouble the most for, was dispensing God's mercy to people that they considered unworthy, prostitutes, tax collectors, those kinds of people. It made them so mad that he would extend God's mercy to them as well. This idea of mercy, unmerited forgiveness, is actually one of the things which makes Christianity unique among the world's religions. Eastern religions, like Hinduism and Buddhism, do, are not based on the concept of mercy. They're based on the concept of karma. And karma is based on justice, not mercy. You know karma. Whatever goes around comes around. You do bad things, bad things are going to happen to you. You do good things, good things will happen to you. It's fair. It's just. But the Christian concept of mercy is not fair. It's, it's, it's not just. It's where you get unmerited forgiveness. You don't deserve it. You don't get what you deserve. You get what you need. In fact, I remember, um, this is actually a, one of the dividing lines between Christianity and Judaism as well. I remember when I lived in Southern California, there was a rabbi, a very smart guy named Dennis Prager, who was on the, uh, uh, the, the radio there. He had a show called Religion on the Air. And he would invite on other uh, ministerial figures to discuss and talk with him. And one time he had a priest on there, and he said, uh, talking about the difference between Judaism and Christianity, and Prager said, you know, Judaism and Christianity are both systems of ethical monotheism that hold in common about 90% of their teachings. But he went on to say, but he said, the one teaching of Christianity 
that Jews cannot abide is this idea of mercy. He said the idea of turning the other cheek is the worst idea ever foisted upon the world. It completely makes a mockery of the concept of justice. When you treat evil people the same way you treat good people, what's the point of being good? Well, Paul says something totally different. He says that even though God desires justice, and he is just, that when it comes down to it, in the end, God chooses mercy over justice. And then the third thing is that God's mercy demands our mercy. It's pretty self-evident that once we have received God's mercy, we are constrained to return the same to our fellow travelers. In fact, it's knowledge of God's mercy that allows us to push aside the normal human desire for vengeance and justice and to be gracious to those who have wronged us. Jesus told a whole parable about this. The parable of the unmerciful servant. You remember there was a servant and he, owned, he owed his master a ton of money, a huge sum. And the master forgave his debt. And the first thing the servant did was he went out and he found a fellow servant who owed him a little bit of money. And he had him locked up in jail until he could pay the debt. It's evident, as Jesus told that parable, that when we receive God's mercy, it is incumbent upon us to share that with other people, to give that to others. Let me ask you a question that you might think about this day. Is there somebody in your life that has wronged you, that has hurt you, that you have been unable to forgive, that you have withheld mercy from? If you consider yourself a recipient of God's mercy, perhaps you might want to consider being a giver of mercy to that person. It's not easy, but it is what God asks of us. You know, when I was in seminary, there was a field of study, one of the major ones, called dogmatic theology. And we had to read a lot of books in the field of dogmatic theology. And the best book I ever read in that field was this book. It's called The Runaway Bunny. I'm going to share with you a few words from this theological masterpiece. Starts off here. Once there was a little bunny who wanted to run away. So he said to his mother, I'm running away. If you run away, said his mother, I'll run after you, for you are my little bunny. If you run after me, said the little bunny, I'll become a fish in a trout stream and I'll swim away from you. If you become a fish in a trout stream, said his mother, I'll become a fisherman and I will fish for you. If you become a fisherman, said the little bunny, I'll become a rock on the mountain high above you. If you become a rock on the mountain high above me, said his mother, I'll be a mountain climber and I will climb to where you are. If you become a mountain climber, said the little bunny, I'll be a crocus in a hidden garden. If you become a crocus in a hidden garden, said his mother, I'll be a gardener and I will find you. If you become a tightrope walker and walk across the air, said the bunny, 
I'll become a little boy and run into a house. If you become a little boy and run into a house, said the, mo the bu mother bunny, I'll become your mother and I'll catch you in my arms and hug you. Shuck, said the bunny, I might just as well stay here and be your little bunny. And so he did. Have a carrot, said the mother bunny. I remember the first time I read this to my girls, I thought to myself, that sounds familiar. Where is that from, that idea? Where is that concept from? And then I remembered Psalm 139. If I flee from you, if I go to the heavens, you'll be there. If I go to hell, if I go to the farthest ends of the earth, you'll be there. You will be there and you will be looking for me. It's great good news. I close with this. I remember one time when my daughters were about three and five years old, I was in a grocery store in Miami and I looked up at the bulletin board that had the public service announcements on it. And there was a poster there on the bulletin board that was advising parents what they should do to protect their children from being abducted, kidnapped. And it had the regular stuff you would think of, uh, you know, tell them never to get in the car of a stranger, never to accept a candy or a gift from a stranger. But it also said this. It said to prepare your kids for that awful, unthinkable thought. You should tell them that if they ever were taken away from you, that you would never, ever, ever stop looking for them. I can remember dissolving into tears right there in the grocery store aisle next to the dog food when I read that, to think of that. But isn't that what we long to hear from God? Isn't that what God says to us? It's the message that we want to hear, that we're desperate to hear. And it's the one that God gives us in our passage this morning, that God will never, ever, ever stop looking for us just like that mother bunny. There may be someone that you're worried about, a child who has drifted off into, away from the church, away from God, a spouse who doesn't share your spiritual journey. Just know that those people as well, God has promised to never, ever, ever stop looking for them. He will never stop looking until he finds us. He loves us that much. And that, brothers and sisters, is the great good news of the gospel. Amen.